Good morning. My name is Mimi Birch, and this is my fifth year attending Habits of the Heart. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to stand before many of you and share my testimony, my testimony of God's faithfulness in my life. God continues to be faithful, and I stand before you today for the first time in this capacity. So it's very humbling and also very exciting to hear what God is going to teach us today. And as Lynn said, we have a lot to cover in these four chapters. So, and I'm going to go about it in a a bit of an unconventional way. I'm going to move through all four chapters three times. This is a narrative. It's a story with events. So I want us to understand what's happening in each of those chapters. So that will be our first pass through those chapters. Then we're going to move through it a second time with Israel in view. And we will see in chapter 7, Israel's repentance before the Lord. Then we'll see in the next three chapters, Israel's rejection of God. And then finally, for our third pass through, we're going to have God in view. And we're going to see how God is the reigning and sovereign king, regardless of the behavior and the response of the Israelites. But before we get into this too far, I'd like us to bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time and this opportunity to come before you, to know you more. We know that you desire to be known and you have given us your word. So we pray that this morning you would speak your word to us, that your word would touch our hearts, that you would reveal idols and ways that we have rejected you, that you would bring repentance to our hearts that you would turn us back to you. Through Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. So to make sure we're all on the same page, we're going to do a very quick background. We're in 1 Samuel, which is a historical narrative. So we have characters, we have a geographical location, and we have events that have taken place. I'm not going to do an in-depth character study as Candace did a couple of weeks ago, which was really fabulous. But I would like to take a moment to talk about Samuel, who has been absent for the last few chapters. He is a prophet of God who straddles a time in Israel's history between the judges and the kings. He's going to transition Israel from a tribal confederacy reigned and ruled by the elders of the tribes of Israel to a monarchy. We're introduced in these chapters to King Saul, the first monarch of Israel. We know that this is a very difficult time in Israel's history, that the word of the Lord is rare in those days. God's ambassador, the priest Eli, is blind physically and in many ways spiritually. We also know from Judges 21, 25, the last verse of the last chapter of Judges, that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In this we see that God has intention for a king for Israel. We know that he is the one true king, but he is going to bring an earthly king to Israel. So my question for us today is, as we meet King Saul, is he the king that God intends? Or is he, is King Saul, is God giving King Saul to Israel because of their demands? We'll look into that. 
So we have characters, we have a location. And so, as Kathy said, in the first week, we have this map in the back of your books that shows us our geographical location. And often Israel is referred to as from Dan to Beersheba, Dan being on the northernmost part, and this is on your handout, circled. You can't really read. But the circle on the top is Dan, and the circle on the bottom is Beersheba. And although there are many different locations cited in our text today, I want us to focus in on that square in the middle, which is Mizpah. Mizpah is centrally located, and it is a gathering place for Israel. On two occasions in our text today, Samuel will gather all of Israel at Mizpah. He will gather all of Israel at Mizpah in chapter 7 when Israel repents before the Lord. And he will gather all of Israel again in chapter 10 when he reminds Israel that they are rejecting God by demanding a king. And then he presents Saul as king there at Mizpah. There have also been six chapters since we reach our place today. So let me very briefly summarize what has happened in the book of Samuel and where we are going to pick up today. So we see in chapters one and two an introduction to Samuel's family. We know his family of origin. We know Hannah and Elkanah. We also know his adoptive family, Eli, and his worthless sons. We see in chapter 3, Samuel is called and confirmed as the prophet of God. In chapter 4, there is conflict between Israel and the Philistines that climaxes when Israel is going to force God's hand and bring victory by taking the ark of God. But as Cinda told us last week, God will not be manipulated or managed, and he allows Israel's defeat and the capture of the ark. Eli and his worthless sons die in chapter 4. In chapters 5 and 6, the ark tours the Philistine cities, humiliating the Philistine gods and afflicting the people emotionally and physically. The Philistines come in contact with the living God, and they reject him. They return the ark of God to Israel, and it sits for 20 years. That's where we pick up in chapter 7. So now we're going to take our first pass through these four chapters. In chapters, and I, I would love nothing more than to read these four chapters for us. But we do not have the time to do that this morning. So what I'm going to do is I've chosen some verses in each chapter that will hopefully anchor us in that chapter. So if you'd like to follow along, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 7. In this chapter, I want us to really think about repentance and salvation. And we will begin our reading in 1 Samuel 7, 3, when Samuel says, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then in verses 5 and 6, Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. For they, so they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. 
and then verses 9 and 10. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and they threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. So we see here repentance. Samuel offers Israel a contingent promise. They are to return to God, rejecting their foreign gods and placing God in his rightful place as king. They do this, and Samuel offers intercession on their behalf and a sacrifice. That one lamb was slain for the sins of all of the people. That sacrifice was acceptable to God, and God answered by bringing a fulfillment of his promise and victory for Israel. Repentance and salvation in chapter 7. Then in chapter 8, I have conversation bubbles and people to represent Israel, Samuel, and God. We are going to see a conversation here. Samuel has gotten old, and he has placed his sons as judges over Israel. In verses, uh, so this is 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel goes on to warn the people of what this king will be. We're going to pick up again in verse 21. The people have doubled down after the warning and continue to demand a king. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So we see here in chapter 8 a conversation that's happening between Israel and Samuel, Samuel and God, as they determine how to move forward with the leadership of Israel. In chapter 9, donkeys. Saul is going to meet Samuel through a divine appointment. Donkeys are lost. His father's donkeys are lost, and Samuel, or excuse me, Saul and his servant are are out looking for the donkeys. And they have searched far and wide all the lands and not found the donkeys. So we're going to read 1 Samuel 9, 5 through 8. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he, his servant, said to him, Behold, There is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. 
So let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what, we can, what can we bring this man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man to tell us our way. So in this, they've devised a plan to go to the man of God, who is Saul, Samuel, and find what he would say as to whether they should return to Saul's father or continue looking for the donkeys. We see that Samuel has the word for Saul. The donkeys have been found, but he has something even greater for Saul, which is where we move in to chapter 10. Saul, in, first, in the first verse, is anointed as king. So let's read that first verse. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, that is Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of, Israel, of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So then Samuel goes on to give Saul three very detailed signs. And then in verse 7, let's see what will happen. Now when these signs meet you, Samuel says, do what your hands finds you to do, for God is with you. And then in verse 9, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. Then let's move down to verses 17 to 19. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So we see the anointing of of Saul here in chapter 10. Repentance and salvation in 7, conversation in chapter 8, meeting of Saul and Samuel in chapter 9, and then the anointing of Saul in chapter 10. That is our first pass through. Now we're going to go back and look at Israel's, from Israel's view. We'll start in chapter 7. Let's be reminded again where we are. The ark has been returned to Israel and has sat for, for 20 years. We know in 1 Samuel 7, 2, that all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. This lament is the beginning of Israel's journey toward repentance. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. This is a quote by Mark Rogop in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. 
Don't we see that in Israel right now? They've been defeated over and again, humiliated, conquered by the Philistines. And it would be hard to understand how, as an Israelite, this would match with their privileged position as God's people. Samuel steps in and reminds them that they are not acting like God's people. They have removed God from their hearts, from their lives, and they are serving and worshiping foreign gods. Samuel directs them toward repentance through his contingent promise in 1 Samuel 7, 3. Israel is obedient. They remove their foreign gods and their Ashtaroth, and they gather at Mizpah. They are fasting, and they pour out water, which is a a sign of deep contrition over their sin, and they confess the truth. They have sinned against the Lord. Samuel comes in and intercedes on their behalf. Remember, Samuel is the ambassador of God. He intercedes on their behalf, and he offers a sacrifice for their sins. Ladies, the cost of sin is expensive. Life has to be lost. And in this case, we see a lamb whose blood was shed for the sins of the people. This ended, this repentance ended with God's fulfillment of his promise. He delivered Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And he didn't stop there. He put his hand against the Philistines and protected Israel. He then restored the lands that had been previously conquered by the Philistines. This is a high point for Israel. Life is good when God is king. It doesn't last long. We see in chapters 8 through 10 that Israel, the very next chapter, Israel's rejected God. And this began in leadership. Samuel placed his sons as judges, and his sons did not walk in his ways. They perverted justice which is a direct affront to their job as judges defined in Deuteronomy 16. The elders then came to Samuel and rejected him for his age and rejected his sons for their manner of living. They then went on to demand a king like the nations. Don't we hear the familiar complaint here? Everyone else has one, but we don't. We're deprived. We don't want to be separate and holy. We don't want to be different. We want to be the same. Life would be better if we had a king like the nations. Well, God warns them through Samuel of what this king would be. You think he's going to be great, but he's going to take. He's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your male and female servants. He's going to take your freedom. You will be his slaves. They don't heed the warning. They persist and demand the king. So this ends with God giving them what they wanted. God, through Samuel, anointed Saul as king over Israel. And he gave Saul two kingly responsibilities. To reign over Israel and to save them from their enemies reigning and saving. Those are the tasks of a king. So how do we know that Israel got what they were demanding? 
Let's take a look at the person of Saul. We know from 1 Samuel 16, we haven't gotten there yet, but we will know that man looks at the outward appearance. So let's take a quick look at Saul's outward appearance. We know that he is wealthy. He is handsome more so than any other. And he is tall in stature. This man looks the part. He can save us from our enemies. We also know from 1 Samuel 16 that God looks at the heart. So let's take a quick look at Saul's heart and his character. We know that Saul has a low view of God based on his encounter with Samuel, the man of God. Remember that back with the donkeys in chapter 9. When we see his servant seeming to indicate more spiritual awareness than Saul himself by bringing to him the option of visiting this man of God in this town who is held in honor and his word is always true. It's his servant that introduces him. And then from there, it wasn't Saul mentioning, let's go and pay homage and worship with this man. No. What do we have to give him that then we can get what we need and be on our way? Pump some silver in and get our answer out. The way that Saul treats God's ambassador is the way he treats God. He has a low view of God. And he's a coward, not just as the picture shows us on the screen of Saul hiding in the baggage. And this is after that big, dramatic, displayed presentation of Saul as king. Lots are cast. And if there was a stage, you could almost see it. The curtains come back and a drum roll. And there's no Saul and a drum roll, and there's still no Saul. And the people have to go and ask God, Where, where's our king? And God tells him, he's hiding in the baggage. It's not just this moment that we see the cowardice, but in the encounters before, that we see the depth of his heart. So again, let's go back to that chapter 9 of that meeting with Samuel, the man of God, whose word is always true. It is in this that Saul first, hear, first hears that God has something amazing for him from a man whose word is always true. And then Samuel goes on to anoint Saul, give him three very detailed signs that this will happen, and God is with you. Before Saul even leaves Samuel's presence, he has a changed heart. God has been working in mighty ways to show and tell Saul what he has. But in this moment of presentation, he doesn't act in faith and trust in this God. It's fear and cowardice. This is the king that Israel demanded. So we've taken a pass at the text and looked at Israel and seen their rejection, their repentance, their rejection. It's pretty discouraging, especially as I understand that this is my heart too. So let's lift up our eyes and see where God is in all of this. We're going to go through all of the text one final time. 
will begin again in chapter 7, and we'll see God as the reigning and sovereign king. We'll see that God in chapter 7 mediated that repentance for Israel, for his honor and glory, and for the good of Israel. We'll see that God remained on the throne and engaged with his people even during and after their rejection of him. And we'll see that God offers us repentance and salvation through the person and work of Christ. So let's begin in chapter 7, where God mediated the repentance of Israel. We see that God, through Samuel, offered a promise to Israel. We see that God, through Samuel, interceded on behalf of the people. And we see that God, through Samuel, offered a sacrifice, a payment for the sins of the people. We see that God thunderously and supernaturally rescues his people, fulfilling his promise. We see that God then protected Israel from the Philistines and restored those lands. It was God's work from start to finish. He did it all. This is in repentance. What happens? Where is God when he's rejected by his people? We see that God remains on his throne, sovereign and ruling and engaged with his people even during and after their rejection of him. These are chapters 8 through 10. And we see in chapter 8 that God told Samuel three times to obey the voice of the people The people were demanding a king over and again, but God had the final word. God chose an anointed Saul. God confirmed Saul's anointing through three signs. God gave Saul another heart and was with him. God knew where Saul was hiding. No one else did, but God knew. God saw him. And as Saul was leaving Mizpah, as king of Israel, God touched the hearts of the men that went with him, the men of valor that were surrounding him. God had touched their hearts. And so we see that God remained on the throne and engaged with his people during and after their rejection. What about us? What does all of this mean for us? We know first and foremost that God is king. In Deuteronomy, we're given the Ten Commandments again. When God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the first commandment that God had given Israel. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the same king that we have today, the same God. Jesus reiterated this commandment in Mark 12 when he was asked what is the greatest command he responded to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength this is the greatest command God sits on the throne he is worthy of our praise honor and lives but as our pastor here Drew Hunter said On Sunday, the Bible tells us that every person has rejected God and placed someone 
or something else in his place. We are all guilty before this God of not worshiping him as king. But he has made a way for us. He has given us a lamb, the son of God, the lamb of God, Jesus. In John 1, 29, when the, John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the lamb of God who lived the perfect life offered his life as a sacrifice, a payment for our own sin. And we know that that sacrifice was offered as the single all-time sacrifice for sins from Hebrews 10, 12 to 14. And after Christ offered this single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. And he is our advocate, interceding on our behalf from the right hand of God. We know this from 1 John 2, 1 and 2, that when we sin, we have an advocate, the person of Jesus Christ. Just as in 1 Samuel 7, we saw Samuel interceding and offering sacrifice on, the, on behalf of the people, we have the person of Jesus who has offered his life as a sacrifice and intercedes on our behalf, at the, in the very presence of God. So ladies, if you have never known this great God or been in relationship with him, today is your day. There is no greater time than now to surrender the kingship of your heart and your life to him. He has made a way through his son, and he wants relationship with you. So I would Say in the quiet of your heart to confess your sin to him that you have not allowed him to be king of your heart, to cling to Jesus as your salvation. And don't leave it here in the quiet, but come. Tell your group discussion leaders. Tell a friend. Tell me what God has done in your heart today. We want to know and celebrate and walk with you. Ladies, if you're living in a place of lament between pain and God's promises, we know from these chapters that can happen because of sin in our lives. And in that case, there's a need for repentance and turning to God. This can also happen because of the sin and brokenness in this world, not just our own personal sin. And so I would ask you to come to the foot of the cross, to the person of Jesus, who lived a life of lament. He knew pain. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he knew the promises of God. Come and fall at his feet and cling to him. Ladies, if you have relationship with God and you're not in a particular season of lament, I would ask that you join in the psalmist in Psalm 139. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. May God reveal the idols in our hearts and our rejection of him in favor of being like those around us. May God give us hearts of repentance that would humbly submit to him 
And may God reign as rightful king of our hearts today and every day that follows.